So hi everyone and welcome to first in our two-part podcast series on CHPs and the NHS. We're going to talk about the past, the present and the future. Uh, So today we're going to be focusing on the past and the present, taking a look at why CHPs have been so popular within the NHS, how the benefits have changed over time and some ideas for how you can make the most of your existing CHP plant that you've got on site at the moment. Um, So I'm just going to pass you over to David Oliver who's our expert internally, most of you know him, and he's going to give us the basics of what a CHP is and how it works. Over to you, David. Hi, Beth, thanks. Uh, it's probably worth, first of all, a very, very quick overview of what a CHP is. It, it, effectively, it's a gas engine. It's similar to the diesel engines you have at your NHS sites, except it burns natural gas. But the key difference is that you recover heat from both the jacket water and also from the exhaust on it, and that heat is then recovered and used to supply domestic hot water or space heating on the site. And, of course, uh, uh, acute trusts tend to have very high heat demands through most of the year. So we've carried out some indicative modelling of a one megawatt electrical CHP based on typical delivered gas and electricity costs from 2010 to 2020. And then we've also looked at how we think those costs and also the carbon contents and so on will change over the next 10 years so from 2020 to 2030 is based on our best estimates and what you see here is that the dashed purple line which is cost benefit so it's against the left-hand axis is showing that there's been a big increase in the benefits from chp over that period that's partly down to inflation but it's also because electricity has become more expensive than gas it's gone up at a faster rate so whilst back in 2010 Electricity prices were three or four times greater than gas prices at the point of delivery. Now they could be five or six times higher. So, so CHP is actually very, very lucrative at the moment, and we think it will continue to be lucrative in the future. However, on the other side, if you look at the red line, which is actually against the right-hand axis, this is showing the carbon savings from a CHP. So back in 2010, typically a good CHP would actually be potentially 30% less carbon emissions than having an alternative, which is boilers and importing electricity. And that's because the imported electricity was very, very high carbon intensity because we were running lots of coal-fired power stations and very few renewables. Now, over that 10-year period to 2020, uh, coal has largely dropped away as a form of generation, and there's been a huge increase in renewables. And it means that the carbon intensity of grid electricity is now less than half of what it was in 2010. Now, that means that the carbon benefits of CHP have dropped dramatically. And in fact, if you look against the right-hand axis, you'll see that in 2020, it's almost a zero benefit. So it's almost the same carbon intensity as buying electricity from the grid and producing steam or hot water from boilers. And that's, that's David, isn't it? That's for standard import electricity as well, whereas a number of our trusts will be looking at importing a fully renewable product from the grid that's so correct. actually, yeah. this cost in carbon is going to be even higher for them. It is. That's correct. Yeah, and as you can see, as you know, we we expect the grid to continue to decarbonise, and every time it decarbonises, it makes that balance a bit worse. And by twenty thirty, a CHP of this size could be producing nearly a thousand tons more CO two than the alternative. Uh, I should point out that the on the right hand side, that carbon benefit is tons of carbon dioxide emitted. So that's with a model where we're assuming that 100% of the waste heat from the CHP is recovered and used. Now, that's not always the case. We do find there are a number of uh, trusts that are operating CHPs 
with less than 100% recovery. Now, that can be for various reasons. Um, you know, one of the common reasons is that uh, in the summer, there's very little heating demand, so therefore there's no use for the heat and it gets dumped. Um, sometimes we find with hospitals that may even occur at night time when there's less heating demand for domestic hot water. But if you do dump heat, what you can find is, uh, first of all, a reduction in the benefits because obviously you're throwing energy away, which is throwing money away. So in this particular model, in 2010, previously with 100% heat recovery, it was a benefit of about 300,000, and that's gone down by about a third to 200,000. And similarly, in 2020, the benefit's fallen from about 800,000 pounds to about 500,000 pounds. So the point is that heat dumping is actually poor from a financial point of view, but the CHP is still worth running even with heat dump going on. And that's why we're seeing more and more CHPs running throughout the summer, even at high loads with heat dumping going on. Now, of course, if you throw heat away, you're also generating more carbon emissions compared to running boilers. And the red line, which again is carbon benefits, you'll see that the crossover point where it goes down to zero benefit is actually, in this case, occurring about 2017 to 2018. So if you have a CHP that's currently dumping heat, the chances are that it's already a higher carbon uh, equipment compared to actually running boilers and importing grid electricity. And by the time you get to 2030, in this example, it could be producing nearly 2,000 tonnes of CO2 more than the alternative. So you can see that CHP is becoming a higher and higher uh, carbon option. Um, now, what's interesting, though, is that at 50% heat recovery, you may still actually be able to achieve good quality CHP status under the uh, good quality CHP uh, QA scheme. Yeah, and that's something I'm sure a number of the trusts that, that we work with are part of the CHPQA scheme, um, which they either do themselves or with help. Um, and I know from our engineers, they've been telling us that the audits are getting sort of more in depth than they used to be. Um, now, this was all set up so that we could encourage CHPs because of the carbon benefits. Do you think there's a possibility here of the scheme ending, given that it's no longer a low carbon option? Well, certainly you're right that uh, back in 20, you know, back when it started, the government was very much in favour of CHP because there was that sort of 30% carbon saving. So it was a very attractive option for making the UK electricity and energy system more green. But you're quite right. Now, as a high carbon option, you wonder whether the, the subsidy will continue because it's becoming an increasing subsidy. Um, now, there's been no rumours of it happening, but I do feel that you know it won't go on forever, this exemption from climate change levy for CHPs. Yeah, and we've included that benefit in the figures, haven't we, here for the gas from the CHP, um, assumed that they're a high-quality unit. Yeah, we've assumed that uh, for the CHP option, there's no climate change levy on the gas, whilst for uh, boiler or hot water boilers as an alternative, there is climate change levy included. So we've included that in the modelling. So that actually brings us quite nicely onto the next graph, which is talking about climate change levy. Uh, now, climate change, climate change levy was originally designed to actually fund the Carbon Trust, um, and it was gently increasing at RPI year on year. And then in 2018, both gas and electricity saw big increases, and that was to recover revenues that were lost when the CRC scheme closed. However, around the same time, the government decided that whilst there are lots of carbon taxes on electricity, there are actually relatively few on gas. So they therefore announced that they're going to increase CCL on gas over the next five years 
to a point where it would actually be the same as electricity. Now, we have most of the rates already confirmed by HMRC. And what this graph shows is it shows the dashed purple line is electricity climate change levy, and the solid red line is climate change levy on gas. And you can see that on the 1st of April 2024, they will actually be at the same value, which is £7.75 a megawatt hour. Now, that compares to £4.08 today, but it compares to about £2 back in 2017. So you can see there's almost been a fourfold increase in climate change levy on natural gas, or there will be by 2024. Yes, thereafter, and- we, sorry, thereafter, we think it's going to be linked just to RPI. Yeah, so David, just on that, if we've included that CCL discount on the modelling previously, mm-hmm. is there a significant impact for a CHP that would stop receiving um, good quality exemption from CCL charges? Yeah, so if we take the 2024 data based on that levy, uh, we've calculated that it would add £167,000 to the cost of the gas being used in that CHP that we use in our model. Uh, and that's about a 30% drop in the operating benefits. Um uh, should also point out at this point that even if you have an existing CHP, uh, if it's not operating very efficiently and not achieving a score of more than 100 under the CHP QA scheme, you will actually have to pay some of the climate change levy on a portion of the gas. Yeah, so it's something from our perspective, sort of talking about the present, um, that we do recommend people look at their CHP units um, and do a full reassessment of how they're operating, particularly if they've not been checked since installation, um, because often we do see CHP units being installed, never actually meeting their design criteria. Um, Not as unusual as you'd like to think, is it, David? No, it's not. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And so often you can make some significant improvements with quite limited capex, and you might be able to nudge things into a good quality CHP if you're just missing it, or potentially improve your, your cost benefits as well. Yeah, so uh, actually the next slide is just asking the question, really, how can you improve the efficiency of a CHP? So there's a few ways you can do this. The first way, and the way that a lot of trusts used to do it, is to reduce load when there's less heat demand. So what would happen is you would actually control the CHP based on the demand of heat. So if heat demand dropped, uh, you potentially run your CHP at lower loads to match the heat demand. Now, the problem with doing that, of course, is that you're running at lower electrical efficiency as well, but also producing less electricity. And there's this dilemma that it's more economical to carry on running the CHP and to dump heat. Uh, and that's been a reason why some trusts have actually added dump, dump radiators to their CHPs. But it's more efficient under the CHP QA scheme to operate it at reduced load during those periods. Now, the second thing we commonly see is that a lot of the acute trusts are operating sites with steam distribution to provide hot water and space heating. And then at the various chlorifier stations, that's converted into the hot water locally. Now, a CHP, most of the heat recovered from it is at about 85 Celsius. Only about 35, 40% of a CHP heat output can be converted into steam. So therefore, it's very important that you actually have somewhere to put low temperature hot water at about 85 degrees C from a CHP. And one of the ways to do that is actually to replace some of the steam systems completely with hot water. And that actually has secondary benefits where it can reduce some of the standing losses associated with steam systems, particularly in older parts of hospitals, particularly the older sort of Victorian parts in some of the trusts. 
Um, yeah, that's something I think a lot of trusts have been working on over the last sort of 10 years. Um, we hear about de-steaming projects quite a lot um, for sort of the combined safety, carbon and cost reasons that, that we're talking about now. Um, and it is really something probably, David, that we'd recommend for most sites, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's it's certainly the, the future. And I think we'll we'll talk about that uh, another time. But uh, yes, steam has very high losses because obviously it's sat in a pipe at about 160 degrees. And uh, during this, you know, summer when there's very little heat demand, you've got steam moving very slowly through pipes at very high temperatures and, you know, losses are inevitable. So the third way we can actually improve the efficiency of CHPs is not to operate them in the summer. So in the summer, there's obviously very little heating demand and therefore much more chance of dumping occurring. Whilst in the winter, normally you can use 100% of the heat output from a CHP. And also during the winter, you've got uh, some very high system electricity charges associated with things like triads and capacity market. So having a CHP available in the winter is normally desirable. Um, so therefore, we would recommend people look at scheduling maintenance for CHPs, if possible, in the summer. And that's pretty unusual, isn't it, David? I think um, from my knowledge, a lot of people do tend to do their maintenance over the Christmas period. Yeah, I mean, it, it's not a hard and fast rule because it also depends on things like, uh, you know, the price you're paying for the gas and the value of electricity. And it depends whether you're on uh, flexible contracts or fixed contracts, you know, to, to determine what the difference is between gas and electricity prices. Because obviously, whilst electricity prices are higher in the uh, winter, so are gas prices, unless you're forward bought over a year and you have a fairly level price but we've seen you know for example this year between 4 and 7 p.m between november and february there will be a capacity market charge estimated to be around 120 pounds a megawatt hour wow. uh, on electricity imports during that period so you really want to be running your chp between 4 and 7 p.m on weekdays in the winter and of course also if you do that you will also have some significant avoidance of triad charges Although, of course, the triad charges are up for review and will change in 2022, but there's still two winters where you can do triad avoidance, and a CHP is a good way of doing that. The other so thing, I too, is that some people are selling CHP uh, capacity into the capacity market, and the capacity market is looking at uh, plant to be available throughout the winter. So we'll move on now just to uh next slide. So, Beth, do you want to just maybe summarise where we are at the moment? So what you can see is um, CHP is still financially a very attractive option uh, and there are good reasons why trusts have been putting them in even up to recent years. But there are changes coming and the operational and planning contracting guidance from 2020-21 does state that all NHS organisations must ensure that new builds and refurbishment projects are delivered to net zero carbon standards. Given the carbon cost issues that we've been discussing, finding an alternative to a gas-fired CHP as and when that plant comes to end of life is going to be an absolute necessity. Now, our above calculations have compared the carbon cost of CHP to import electricity with traditional boiler plant for heating. But if you think about it, you're also looking at a high carbon cost there with traditional boiler plant. And trusts need to be really ambitious in their designs to reach as close to net zero carbon for new heating systems as possible. So given that, um, our next podcast is going to look at assessing the future of CHP within the NHS, alternative heating system options, and David and I are going to discuss alternative fuels, the big hydrogen question, 
um, and some other heating plant designs that are maybe more unusual and could bring some savings. And in the meantime, if you've got any existing CHP plants on site and you want advice on improving efficiency, please give us a call. So that's it, really. Um, We're going to wrap up for today. Uh, Thank you for listening. Uh, As always, we do welcome your feedback. And if you have any questions that you'd particularly like us to answer, um, drop us an email at podcast at inenco.com. So as Beth mentioned, we'll be following this up with the second podcast in a couple of weeks. To make sure you don't miss out on that, please subscribe to our podcast at www.inenco.com forward slash the hyphen inenco hyphen podcast. Or alternatively, search the Inenco podcast on Spotify and click subscribe. All our previous podcasts are available there as well. That's great, David. Well, thanks for joining me. Um, It's always good to speak to you. And you too. Thanks, Beth. And thanks everyone for joining us and we'll speak to you on the next podcast. Bye.